0: So I'm entitling this today, The Truth About Money. A woman uh, received in the mail notification, verified by a call that she had won the Reader's Digest sweepstakes, $4 million. She was so excited, she wanted to tell her husband, and then she immediately remembered he had just had a massive heart attack the week before. The doctor had said absolutely no excitement. You can't say anything to rile him up, or he could go. So she called her pastor and shared the dilemma and said, would you come over? And in a few hours, he came over, he prayed, and as he came in to talk to Mike, he was going to tell him about the four million bucks he just won, try to just do it smoothly and carefully. He said, Mike, I I have a question for you. It's just a theoretical situation uh, regarding Christian stewardship, but um, if if you had four million dollars, what would you do with it? Mike thought for a moment, he said, well, if I had $4 million, I think I'd give $2 million to the church, and upon hearing that, the pastor had a heart attack and died. <laughs> Why is it that we cling so close to our funds, and e- even even the thought of, of speaking about money? You know, people say, well, it's personal. Well, here's, here's what Acts 20 says. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus, Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now that almost seems like it just can't be true. But Jesus, everything that came out of His mouth, was true. So we're going to talk about the truth about money today, and I just have three principles I want to share with you as our main emphasis, and here's the first. God owns everything, and we are just His managers. You say? that's my money. Not according to the word of God. You may call it yours, but you're a manager who's taking it because he says it's his. Psalm one: the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. Deuteronomy 8.18, remember the Lord your God, he is the one who gives you power to be successful. I mean, even your business success, it's the Lord who gave you the ability. Successful in order to fulfill the covenant and be confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. Deuteronomy ten fourteen. Look, the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it all belong to the Lord your God. Leviticus 25, 23 says even the land belongs to him. It's not even your land. Haggai 2, 8, just so we can get right down to it. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Wow. Now, this is a serious mindset change for all of us. Here's the deal for me. I'll just use me. I don't have any money. I'm just a manager of his money. Everything I have, it's not mine. I can't claim anything I've put in the bank. I can't claim anything I've worked hard for. He says it's all his. And we're the managers. Now, he lets us use a good portion of it for our lives because he's good. You know, I recall through the years, and I think this has happened at least a few times in my life, especially when my kids were little. We'd go to McDonald's, we'd buy the stuff, and I don't, I don't order fries anymore, any but I'll, I want to pick just a few off from whoever, you know, whoever, who's ever got some, uh, just because they taste good, and I, I just want to stay away from the whole pack. How many can relate to that? you know, especially the ladies. I've become like my wife, picking off other people's plates in my old, my old age. She, she gets a little bird portions and then gets just little bits here and there, you know. But often, this has happened several times, uh, I'll purchase the food, we'll sit down, and I'll, wanna gra- I'll grab a fry from one of the kids' fry pack. And it's happened more than once, they, they, they slap my hand and take it back. And it kind of ticks me off. I think, hey, I bought that technically. I mean, if you want to get down to it, that is my fry. Now, I don't say this. I just want to say it, you know. I want to say, as a matter of fact, not only is the fry mine, you are mine, and you wouldn't exist without me. But as I look into those sweet little eyes when they were kids, I could see it. It was there. Do not touch my fries. Now, here's the deal. God has given us money. And he asked for tithes and offerings and figuratively, here's what we're doing. We're slapping his hand and saying, You give that back. That's mine. Whoa. Well, he says, technically, it's mine. Technically, everything good flows from me to you. Is it really too much to give him a portion of all that he's given us? someone said to me, a friend um, said, yeah, I look at it this way. He said, what if a, uh, a fella came to you and said, hey, I want to be your partner. I've got all my resources I'm going to throw in. And this guy was a heavyweight financially. And uh, we'll work this thing together, but here's the deal. We're not going 50-50. I'll take 10 and you take 90. Now, if a guy had a uh, uh, you know, really great experience and great resources and he was doing work th- as well, that would be an amazing partnership. He takes 10, I get 90. Well, that's what God has, has given us as a partnership. Look, the minimum, he says, is you give me 10 and, I, and I'll and i bless all the rest and increase it even more th- than you had before. Now, I know this sounds wacko, but everybody here, if I had them raise hands, and I won't because it would make some people look bad. And by the way, I never know who pays tithes. I do it on purpose because I want to look everybody in the eye. If you don't, you can get away with it around me and I'll just love you just like everybody else. It really doesn't matter to me. It's not my money. It's not your money. It's his money. So I just want to be able to talk freely about it and that's why I never look to see who who pays tithe. And that's why I, I, I can tell you today that I know that people who do pay the tithe are people who have seen miracle after miracle with God coming to support them and bless them. And I can have them raise their hands to verify that today, but I won't. But it's really true. Until you go, until you have the faith, you do not see the miracles in the way the Lord would want you to see them. We are only the managers of resources that God puts in our hands. And 1 Corinthians 4, 7 verifies it. For what gives you the right to make such a judgment? What do you have that God hasn't given you? There's there's some verification that we're managers. What do you have that he hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? That moves me to my second point. First, we're just the managers. We don't own. Secondly, God wants us to distribute his resources to build his kingdom. It's all through the word of God. Now, I, I will tell you, and I'm not going to tell you the amounts, but I, I will tell you that I have not only paid the tithe, but gone beyond. Uh, subs, my wife and I give a substantial portion of our income to missions, not just the tithe. And to special offerings when our, when our hearts are moved. Um, and, and the way to approach it is, you, you know, we come in these services and we put things before you from other ministries beyond us. And, and, and the idea is, if we pray, the Lord will move our hearts, he'll move the hearts of his managers of his resources, to fund something that he wants to see happen, to help the poor, to help people come to Jesus, to help the evangelist. He calls upon the heart of his manager, he speaks to our heart, and then we hear and we say, okay, Lord. And I'll give you a few examples of that here in a moment. But here are the ways that God has asked us to to build his kingdom. The first is this, the tithe, and I've been speaking about it. Did you know Jesus affirmed tithing? He could have said, don't do it, Uh, it's wrong. But here's what he said. What sorrow awaits you Pharisees? Now granted, he's calling them out on some things here that they're doing wrong. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. Now those are great and important things to God, justice and the love of God. And so that's really the emphasis here. But I want you to see the affirmation from Jesus Christ in the New Testament. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. He didn't say, tithing is out, stop worrying about that. He affirmed it, and he could have said, easily, he did in many other areas of where people had it wrong, he could have said, it's wrong, stay away from that too, but he didn't, he said, you should tithe, yes. By the way, tithe means 10%, it, that's what the word means, it's the definition of the word. Where should the tithe go? Let's talk about that for a minute. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. Well, the, the storehouse is the place where ministry flows from. And the church today is the is the storehouse equivalent of, of the Old Testament when that was written. The tithe was used for these things, to care for the ministers, the ministries, and for the poor. And it was to be distributed accordingly by the priests so that those things could happen. Now some of you tithe and you know the blessing and you're excited today. Honestly, it might be hard for you to believe, but there are people when they hear you're going to talk about tithe, they get excited because they know what it's meant for their life and they want it for others as well. That blessing of the Lord's covering over your finances and blessings flowing beyond what you could do with your own resources and abilities. Some of you are thinking about it, but it's hard to just make the move. Some are Thinking and 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 your thoughts are, yeah, I don't want to do that. I mean, we're all sitting here today and, you know, hearing this. I Facebooked and asked people to just send me their stories about tithe and giving. And I want to read a few. I wish I could read them all because there were a number that came in. But I want to read a few. These are from people that that answered my my Facebook uh, request about their stories. One person says, my wife and I were newlyweds. We were and still are firmly committed to tithing. I was working at a church in the Master's Commission, which means I got more prayer than pay, laugh out loud. Things were pretty tight. Laugh out loud is always so funny to me. You guys did laugh out loud, but people don't. They just say laugh out loud when they're not. I'm, I'm old, I guess. As one month ended, another began, he said, and we realized that if we tithe, we were going to be $185 short for our rent. We tithed. Two days before the rent was due, as stress was mounting, we were cleaning the house and I found an uncashed paycheck in our desk drawer. Now, given our finances at the time, he says, we simply didn't forget to cash paychecks. But there it was. And the check was for exactly $185. This confirmed... What we've always lived by, he says, we simply can't afford not to tithe. And someone else said in a Facebook message, and I I like this, I believe it's true. As a matter of fact, you go back to the Old Testament, they they tithe um, as a commitment to their Lord to show show his lordship uh, before Moses showed up, and then they started to give it to the ministries, as God um, so told them at that time. But this fellow says... um, I know you're probably looking for a story here where I gave X and Y happened. I don't really have that. But I can tell you that for me, it is a barometer for where my heart is. I don't tithe expecting to see results for me or other people, although this is great. I tithe because it's a reflection of what is closest to my heart. If I feel a pull or a tug to stop tithing, he says... It's an indication to me that I need to evaluate where I am with my relationship with Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 9.7 says this, You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. So today, you shouldn't give if you just feel guilty. I'm really prayerful that the Lord would not uh, allow guilt to rise up anywhere here. Um, but I but I'm also want to be bold and courageous enough to speak the truth so that people can be blessed. I honestly believe and know that people will be blessed if they do these things. The, it goes on to say, God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And I believe that the Lord would have us to have that heart to give from our hearts as a sign that we're grateful to him. Now here's some other forms of giving that the Bible talks about, not just tithing. Now, this, this People don't like hearing this, but I, I'm telling you, for my own personal life, I live this and I speak from that. Tithing is the minimum for giving. I mean, you can, you know, there are some who say, well, the, the new, you know, you, you can't really find tithing in the New Testament. Well, Hebrews also speaks very positively of tithing and, and commitment and, and, and there's no negative when it's mentioned. Jesus affirmed it. I said that um, earlier. But what, but what I want you to, to know is when you do it from your heart, the Lord will bless you. And, it's, and, and Jesus says it because he knows it will help you and, and not hurt you. But it's, it's the starting place. And really, the New Testament is all about generous giving beyond the tithe as well. I mean, generous giving, you start with tithing and then you give beyond. You say, are you wacko? I can't pay the rent. All I can tell you is you might be able to. I'm pretty sure the Lord will help you if you'll start where he says to start. And go, and for some of you, that starts, uh, that that start is tithing. But 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 you know, speak beyond that. Some some tithe, and we, we don't give a whole lot beyond because we want to meet the minimum. Well, other ministries and missions need help too, and it's beyond the tithe. Luke eight one, soon after um, Jesus began a tour of nearby, rather nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his twelve disciples with him, along with some women he had healed and from whom he had cast out evil spirits, among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, now now I'm getting to it here, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing their resources to to support Jesus and his disciples. So he's traveling with a pretty good group of people. The Bible says that, you know, know, we like to talk about prosperity doctrine. I'm not really really into prosperity doctrine. I, I, I don't believe that God blesses you to increase your standard of living. I believe he blesses you to increase your standard of giving. That's later in the notes, but it popped up here, and you'll, you'll hear it again. So I'm not really one of those, hey, God just wants to bless you so you have a big house and big cars and all that. No, there's a world that's hurting. Everything we give here is treasure laid up in heaven, and God's looking to us to be his managers to get things done. It's not wrong to have money, and it's not wrong to be rich. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is it's wrong to think it's all yours. And not listen to him when he says, put it here, there, or wherever. And part of the beauty, you want to be led by the Lord, you open your heart up. You open your heart up to hearing about where he wants his funds to go, and you'll start to hear the Spirit of the Lord quicken your heart and speak to you about where to give. When we bring Donnie Moore here, how does Donnie make it out there? How does he win thousands of kids to Christ? The churches and individuals support the ministry. Jose Zias is an evangelist missionary who's going to be with us later this year. How does Jose do work? The ministry has to be funded so he can get out there and go after it. They're in Africa now, in a poor nation, reaching out and loving people. How does Jose get it done? The people of God, the managers of God, hear what the Lord says, and they give it so those works can happen. Dick Foth, how does he reach out to politicians in D.C.? And we all know politicians in D.C. need the Lord to reach out to them, don't we? We know that. I mean, mean, how, how how does Dick have the time and how does he live and pay his rent and get there? The people of God fund the ministry so that God can touch the hearts of world leaders. Here's another message that someone Facebooked me. Someone in our church said it was about four years ago that our close friend had answered a call in their lives to be a missionary to Japan. Though we'd been tithing, I felt a stirring in my heart to start giving to missions, specifically supporting our friends. I had no idea where the extra $50 a month would come from. I just knew that we were supposed to commit to it, so I did, and two days later, I sent a pledge card in. I received a paycheck that was 20% more than it was supposed to be. Thinking there had been mistakes, I took it to HR where I learned that I'd received a substantial pay raise. God is so good. That's what she said right there. Now, I'm just telling you, you can't experience those miracles and know how awesome God is in working in your life if you're not willing to be a vessel that he can flow through. If you're not willing to manage for him, you can't experience that stuff. And, and if you do, you will experience that he's there. He's the partner that though he's only taking a small portion, has all power in his hands to move things any way he wants. There's no small and big with God. Did you know that? I mean, I mean a billion or a trillion is a huge number to us. I mean, it's like a penny to God. I mean, he owns everything. He can move resources and he can do whatever he wants to do. He is God. And the way we find that out, and I'm telling you, it increases your devotion. When, when you give, the way we find that out is by giving. And then here that God speaks over and over again about giving to the poor and the needy. Proverbs 19:17, "If you help the poor, you're lending to the Lord. Hey, he's a pretty, pretty good one to lend to. And he will repay you. James one twenty seven, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God. And the Father means caring for the orphans and the widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Next week, we start our missions convention. And we'll have an opportunity, uh, week one, we'll have an opportunity to give medical help to the poorest of the poor in the world. I mean, we're going to take offerings to put... Equipment in hospitals where nearby poor people can go so, so they don't have to die at 24, needlessly. And we're going to put some needs before you. And I'm just going to ask you in the next couple weeks, would you be God's manager? Would you just come into those services saying, hey, um, what do you want to do with your money, Lord? I mean, if you live that way, it's, it, it gets pretty exciting. In two weeks, we'll have an opportunity to give to orphans so that they might escape unspeakable horrors of sexual slavery. We had Shalane here last week. In two weeks, we're going to have Derry Northrup. He's coming back to share. Those of you who remember Derry, he's had a substantial uh, impact on our fellowship and on me. He coaches me behind the scenes still to this day. He's a great blessing. But he and his wife, Bonnie, uh, went to um, a country where, where they saw the sexual slavery and they're leading in, in uh, encouraging churches to give so that kids, did you know that there are little girls in the world? Their mothers are prostitutes, and they're birth, and 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 they, they have to stay under the bed until they're three or four while their mother turns those tricks every night. They're sleeping under the same bed where their mother is prostituting. And these are things that God hates. And God wants to rally his church and the managers of his funds to say, let's stop it. And how do we stop it? Well, you're gonna hear about it in in, in the coming weeks as as, um, the ministry we're gonna put before you in two weeks literally rescues these girls, puts them in a home and teaches them a trade. I mean, the mamas don't want their girls to grow up in this. When they're real small, they're a burden to the prostituting houses so the mamas out of great love will give their children away and these ministries will raise them to know Jesus and bless their lives. You're gonna hear about that stuff. We're gonna put it before you. Why? Because because God wants to see it stop and he's gonna use his people to get it done. Well, that moves me to the third thought now. God blesses or withdraws his blessing on the basis of how we manage his resources. When I say blessing, I I, I don't mean like he's going to attack you or anything. Uh, He blesses or withdraws his blessing on your finances. Now, now here's the way I feel. In in this environment, I want my finances covered by God. I just want to know I have his covering and his blessing. So I'm not going to stop giving just because things change. Now, for some of you, if your income's gone down substantially, obviously things change. But you still give accordingly and maybe sacrificially. Well, here's what Malachi 3.8 says. Should people cheat God? Yet you've cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You're under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. There's a consequences and it's a loss of his covering when we say... No, thank you. I don't want to be a manager of your funds. These are mine. Let me see if I can illustrate this by uh, talking about one of my pet peeves. I seriously dislike, I wanted to say hate, but I changed it in my notes. I seriously dislike pens that don't write. (laughs) It is a pet peeve of mine. I have thrown hundreds away in disgust when I pick them up, bound them, shake them, they won't write, throw them away. You've thrown hundreds away. One day a few months ago at my desk in our office, God is my witness, I picked up five pens in a row that wouldn't write. And by the third or fourth, you'd hear a little bigger sound as they went in the garbage. Are you kidding me, what? Now, I, may, maybe I'm wrong and I shouldn't be pee, but here's how my thought process goes. I purchased you for the purpose of ink flowing out of you. That's what you exist for. And you will not do what you were bought to do, so I will dispose of you. That's kind of, that's kind of what's going on in my head. Karen gave me a new pen this week, and I love it. It's called. I'm just going to tell you. I'm I, you know blatant. I'm not advertising. I'm just telling you about a good pen. And listen, by the way, I don't care if they're pretty. I don't care if they cost $200. I want the pen to write. I don't care about that stuff. Just write for me, would you? Be bold and be out there and flow freely so we can get this job done. And Karen gave me a pen called the Bic Z4. It is so cool. I don't think it's very expensive, it looks kind of cheap. But man, you put it to paper and. Thew, 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 thew felt like Zorro, you know. I wanted to do those things. It was just going so cool and make me want to write my signature, you know. It was just flowing so freely. And I I love the BIC-Z4 because it flows continuous and strong. But if the pen won't write, I will dispose of it. John 15.1. Let's read this and see if we can make a correlation here. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so it'll be even more fruitful. Now, it goes on to say he cuts it off and in one, one place he, he throws it in the fire. I don't think that means you're going to hell. It makes me think of wood, hay and stubble and it's all burned up, but it's, it's just stuff that's not profitable, doesn't help you, doesn't help him. But he, he, if it doesn't bear fruit, he's talking about believers, he cuts that branch off. I don't want to be like the pen that doesn't write. When God touches my heart, I want to flow freely to what he tells me. Now, I'm sure I've missed it. I'm sure I'll miss it again. But boy, I'd, I'd, I'd like to write when he picks me up. I'd like to go when he says go. I'd like to give when he says give. And that's what he wants for us. When he picks us up, when he touches our hearts, he, he wants his resources to flow. God, bless, God promises, rather, to bless me when I'm a faithful steward of his resources. So here's the deal. I'm laying treasures up in heaven. That's pretty cool, and that's enough. It's enough to see great things happen on this earth. And some people don't like this, but I'm telling you, the Bible says this just as well. He, he blesses us when we are faithful stewards of his resources. Malachi 3.10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. What? Now this was written to a specific people, but it it is a principle for all of us that when we give, God is never beholding to us. A blessing so great, we won't have enough room to take it in. Now, I don't think it's just financial blessing. I think it covers every area of our lives relationally. I think we, we become uh, more aware and, and we can hear his voice uh, in an easier fashion because we're open and we've been led already. But here's, this is the only place in the Bible where God says, try it. Try it, put me to the test. That's what he says in verse 10. Talking about tithing. Try it. Put me to the test. Now, we've done this for years. To my knowledge, we've never had anyone who came back. I don't know if it's right. I just know we've done it, and it, got, it was just gave people enough faith to, to start. But we've said for 15 years, you tithe for three months. And if in three months you have not been blessed, you have not seen the hand of the Lord, we'll give it all back to you. All you have to do is call. We'll just give it back to you. That's a way where you can try it and test it. Now, some, someone said to me, well, you're, you're not really having faith. Well, all I can tell you is nobody's ever asked for it back. And a lot of people got started that way. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, I will be the first. Oh, well, oh, yeah, I guess you could. But try it and see what the Lord does. And if you, want it, if you want it back and you try it after three months and it doesn't work, we'll give it back to you. Verse 11 talks about that blessing, and, and you have to translate it to what it could mean today. Your crops will be abundant. These guys were talking about paychecks and extra raises that showed up when, when they started giving. For I will guard them from the insects and disease. Boy, aren't there a lot of things hitting at our finances and picking them off here and picking them off there, and, and pretty soon it's all dwindled to nothing. The Lord says, I'll cover you in ways you weren't covered before. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. He's talking about giving. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Verse 8 goes on to say, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. And here I want to say it again. You can see it in verse 8. God says, I'll give you what you need, not everything you want. We, need, we we need to ask God our wants to match God's desires for our hearts because we 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 need what we need we, we we don't need all those wants but it says plenty left over to share with others and then and then this is where I say again God prospers us not to raise our standard of living but to raise our standard of giving. I want to read this story to you and I I, um, I did some research online to make sure it wasn't an urban myth you know how I, I had this great story I was going to share about this. They found a scuba diver years ago, scuba diver fully uh, in his scuba gear in the middle of the forest, uh, 150 miles from the ocean. And, and, and the, the story was saying that a helicopter was picking up water and, you know, dropped him in there and he died. They picked him out of the sea. Well, I looked that up as an urban legend. So I try to be careful what comes before. This, I want to make sure it wasn't an urban legend. This lady is an amazing lady. I found some stuff out about her. She's writing about when she was a kid. Her and her husband, I, if I'm not mistaken, I'm doing this from memory now, something I read this week, they've adopted over 100 children since then. And their motto is, as long as there's a, a child out there who needs to hear I love you, we, we just can't stop. I think they're in their 70s now or, or so, but here, I want to read this story by Eddie Ogan. True story known as um, Aunt Eddie to a lot of missionaries because this was a missionary letter that she wrote. That's where it first came from, but it's gone across the nation, and it's true. Eddie, Eddie is, is a woman, although that's a man's name, uh, and it's spelled the same way, Eddie, Eddie Ogan. She says, I'll never forget Easter, 1946. I was 14. My little sister, Osi, was 12, and my older sister, Darlene, was 16. We lived at home with our mother, And the four of us knew what it was to do without many things. My dad had died five years before, leaving mom with seven school kids to raise and no money. By 1946, a month before Easter, the pastor of our church announced that a special Easter offering would be taken to help a poor family. And he asked everyone to save and give sacrificially. When we got home, we talked about what we could do. We decided to buy 50 pounds of potatoes and live on them for a month. This would allow us to save $20 of our grocery money for that offering. Now $20 was a lot of money in 1946, especially if you're poor. And then we thought that if we kept our electric lights turned out as much as possible and didn't listen to the radio, we'd save money on that for the month. Darlene got as many house and yard cleaning jobs as possible, and we both babysat for everyone that we could. For 15 cents, we could buy enough cotton loops to make three potholders and sell them for a dollar, and we made $20 on potholders that month. That month was one of the best of our lives. Every day, we counted the money to see how much we'd save. At night, we'd sit in the dark and talk about how the poor family was going to enjoy having money the church would give them. We had about 80 people in our church, so we figured that whatever amount of money we had to give, the offering would surely be 20 times that much. After all, every Sunday, the pastor had reminded us to save for that sacrificial offering. The day before Easter, Osi and I walked to the grocery store and got the manager to give us three crisp $20 bills and one $10 bill for all our change. We ran all the way home to show Mom and Darlene We'd never had so much money before. The night, or rather that night, we were so excited we could hardly sleep. We didn't care that we wouldn't have new clothes for Easter. We had $70 for the sacrificial offering. We could hardly wait to get to church, and on that Sunday morning, rain was pouring. We didn't own an umbrella, and the church was over a mile from our home, but it didn't seem to matter how wet we got. Darlene had cardboard in her shoes to fill the holes, the cardboard came apart and our feet got wet, but we sat in church proudly. I heard some teenagers talking about the Smith girls having on their old dresses. I looked at them in their new clothes and I felt rich. When the sacrificial offering was taken, we were sitting on the second row. Mom put in a $10 bill and each of us kids put in a $20 bill. As we walked home after church, we sang all the way at lunch Mom had a surprise for us. She'd bought a dozen eggs and we'd boiled Easter eggs and ate our fried potatoes. Later that afternoon, the minister drove up in his car. Mom went to the door, talked with him for a moment, and then came back with an envelope in her hand. We asked what it was, but she didn't say a word. She opened the envelope and out fell a bunch of money. There were three crisp $20 bills, one $10 bill, and $17 one-dollar bills. Mom put the money back in the envelope. We didn't talk. We just sat and stared at the floor. We'd gone from feeling like millionaires to feeling like poor white trash. We kids had such a happy life that we felt sorry for anyone who didn't have our mom and dad for parents and a house full of brothers and sisters and other kids visiting constantly. We thought it was fun to share silverware and see whether we got the spoon or the fork that night. We had two knives that we passed around to whoever needed them. I knew we didn't have a lot of things that other people had, but I never thought we were poor. That Easter day, I found out we were. The minister had brought us money for the poor family, so we must be poor. I didn't like being poor. I looked at my dress and worn out shoes and felt so ashamed. I didn't even want to go back to church. Everyone there probably already knew we were poor. I thought about school. I was in ninth grade and at the top of my class of over 100 students, I wondered if kids at the school even, or also knew that we were poor. I decided that I could quit school since I hadn't finished the eighth grade, since I had finished, and that was what the law required at the time. We sat in silence for a long time and then it got dark and we went to bed. All that week, we girls went to school and came home and no one talked much. Finally, on Saturday, mom asked us, what we wanted to do with the money. What did poor people do with money? We didn't know. We'd never known we were poor. We didn't want to go to church on Sunday, but mom said we had to. Although it was a sunny day, we didn't talk on the way. Mom started to sing, but no one joined in. and She sang only one verse. At church, we had a missionary speaker. He talked about how churches in Africa made buildings out of sun-dried bricks, but they needed money to buy roofs. He said $100 would put a roof on a church. And the minister said, can't we all sacrifice to help these poor people? We looked at each other and smiled for the first time in a week. Mom reached into her purse, and she pulled out the envelope. She passed it to Darlene, and Darlene gave it to me, and I handed it to Osi. Osi put it in the offering. When the offering was counted, the minister announced that it was a little over $100. The missionary was excited. Remember, this is 1946. He hadn't expected such a large offering from our small church, he said. You must have some rich people in this church. Suddenly it struck us. We'd given $87 out of that 100 We were the rich family in the church. Hadn't the missionary said so? from that day on, I've never been poor again. I've always remembered how rich I am because I have Jesus. Matthew six nineteen says this. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, There the desires of your heart will also be.